Welcome to Spark, careers in agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spark. Today's conversation is with Betsy Huber, and she is president of the National Grange with offices in the Washington, D.C. area, and she is also on the board of trustees at Penn State. Betsy, I think it would be great if you could start out by helping our audience understand the mission of National Grange and especially your youth leadership programs. Thank you, Sarah. The National Grange is 150 years old this year. It's the oldest uh, rural advocacy organization. Our mission is to support rural citizens and agriculture. We were organized right after the Civil War to educate the farmers and to provide them a social life in the rural areas where they were isolated. From the beginning, we've accepted members uh, into full membership at 14 years of age. At 14, a young person is a full voting member in the, probably the same organization their parents and grandparents vote in. So that's uh, interesting. That's very unique. That's really, really yeah. unique. I had no idea. So help us understand why so young. That must be part of the mission or something. We do have a junior Grange from age 5 to 14 that, that prepares uh, children for membership. Uh, the juniors have their own meeting, they elect their own officers, have their own activities and everything. So at 14, they're probably ready to take a more adult role. We have leadership uh, activities, we have speaking contests for the youth and, and their own special activities aimed at their age group, but they are full members of the adult range. Well, that's a great way to prepare them for becoming a citizen, I would say. Yes, we, we do definitely promote civic involvement and the importance of voting and being involved in your community and knowing uh, what's going on in government and legislation. That's a big part of the Grange's mission and activity. Okay. So if you could talk a little bit about um, what it's like to be on a board of trustees at Penn State, because that's got to be a massive responsibility. Uh, yes, it was very time-consuming. The board of trustees uh, hires the president of the university, so that's a big responsibility. We also oversee all the finances and not so much day-to-day -day involvement over the uh, academic affairs, but we do get reports on uh, courses and majors and clubs and activities, and it, it, it is a very time-consuming, big, important job. So how do you juggle the two? You've got two very big roles. <laughs> President of one and Board of Trustees of another organization, that seems like you must be really good at time management, I guess. Uh, well, I try to be. <laughs> I don't have much other social life besides Grange and Penn State. <laughs> so let's maybe take a look back and tell our audience what it was like growing up for you and how your early life prepared you for the roles that you've got. I was born and raised on a dairy farm, so I really credit that upbringing with a lot of my values and work ethic and everything. There's always work to do on the farm. Especially dairy. And yes. From my uh, mother and father, I learned gardening and canning and freezing and animal care and uh, sewing and cooking and all different kinds of crafts. My mother just tried everything. 
from upholstery to hat making to <laughs> uh, you name it, and she tried it at some time. Also, the family was always very civic-minded. Um, my grandfather was a, a township supervisor, local government, which uh, I also did 24 years as a township supervisor. They really trained me that it's important to give back to your community and participate in your local government. Uh, my mom was a 4-H leader. They were active in the milk producers co-op, but especially Grange was our social life. Oh, so you've been part I, of the National Grange your whole life. Yes. Yeah. You're not allowed to join until you're five. So <laughs> Almost your whole life. <laughs> I, I'm, sure, I'm sure I attended uh, from the time I was born, but I joined the Junior Grange at five. They do have their own separate meeting with officers and activities, and I remember square dancing at the Junior Grange meetings was a lot of fun. And then at 14, you, you join the Adult Grange. Women also have always had an equal voice in the Grange since 1867, which is very unusual for that time. 60 years before they got the right to vote in the government, but wow. they could vote in the Grange. That's another reason why I love the Grange sure. as an organization, because it was uh, ahead of its time in recognizing women and uh, has really done so many great things through through the years. I had no idea. Well, so how many generations of your family participated in the Grange? I'm the third generation. My grandparents and parents and my generation and now my children and grandchildren are also active in Grange. So we have a five-generation family right now. Wow, that is amazing. That's a great story. During your period of time growing up, was there a pivotal event or a decision or anything that kind of helped guide where you ended up? There were a couple. When I was 21, my uncle asked me to be the County Grange Youth Chairman. And that was my really my first involvement on the county level. In the Grange, we have the local Granges, and then we have a county level where the local Granges in that county or that region come together and have their own meetings and officers. And then we have the state level of Grange and the national level. The state and national meet once a year. My uncle asked me to be the youth chairman, and that, that was my first involvement outside of my local Grange, and that really got me hooked. <laughs> that led me to participate in state Grange events and enabled me to meet my state representative through the Grange legislative work. And then later, I, I was actually hired by him. I worked in his district office for 10 years. I guess that was another pivotal event Yeah. where I, I really got interested in legislation and made a lot of contacts through that work that really helped me when I was elected the state Grange president in 2002. So it wasn't just your immediate family, but you you had you must have extended family that was involved quite a bit in National Grange. Oh yeah. Did that feel really natural to you to to take a leadership role like that, or how did you kind of prepare yourself for that? That's a hard question because I my uh, handicap all through life has been shyness. <laughs> <laughs> I was very shy, and I and I just hated public speaking. I was petrified to get up in front of a group and speak. But I guess so much family in the Grange that it, it was really more comfortable speaking in that group 
than it was uh, a bunch of people I didn't know. Through my activity through the years, then the, the wider range membership became like family. They really supported me and helped me through my years of practice of public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of us suffer from both shyness and just um, really a fear of public speaking. So it's really encouraging to have someone who's so accomplished that actually started out that way, because I think it can be you know, one of the biggest challenges we have. Can you talk a little bit more? You mentioned your uncle was, was kind of an important person in your life. Was there anyone else that was really important in your development or was really a great support system for you? There's been uh, several mentors and encouragers through my career. Um, I think you, you always need a close friend that you can talk to, that you can trust, not to share all your whining and complaints <laughs> <laughs> that you talk about in confidence. Sometimes you just need to vent or talk or talk things out to get them straight in your mind so you know which direction to go. I've been really fortunate to have these kind of mentors all through my career to encourage me and say, you've got this, you know, you can do this. It's so helpful just to have somebody to talk to and mentor you. So did you in, seek them out or, or was it just happenstance that you ran across people that were good mentors for you? Some I think I've sought out. Others have just been friendships that have developed through the Grange. They just develop into somebody that you go to for advice. So were you ever a mentor also for someone else? Yes, I have. Um, I I still feel like I need a mentor, not that I could be one, but I am a mentor. Um, my daughter comes to mind right right away. She's following my footsteps. She's our state Grange youth director right now. She's been very involved in uh, legislation and civic affairs and just um, learning from me, gardening and sewing and all that. She doesn't have time to do it right now but <laughs> with working. But um, And there's many other younger people in the Grange that I've served as a mentor for. I guess they look up to me as somebody who's succeeded as being the state Grange president and now the national president. So they look to me for advice and counseling. <laughs> so what what is your advice when your mentees ask you those types of questions? My advice is to find a good mentor, find that close friend that you can talk to, and also take advantage of every opportunity out there to learn. I'm always interested in learning and any time I can find time to take a course or, or a webinar or something, I take advantage of it. There's always classes available on any subject, whether it's how to be a better public speaker or how to do something or make something or uh, just information. There's, there's so many things in the world to learn about. We can never learn too much or never be finished learning. It, helps you in your life to keep learning, take every opportunity that you can. So I think you've been a real testament to that because of the you had mentioned you'd gone back and had some more education at Penn State um, and maybe even just recently. Can you talk about going back to school? Pennsylvania has a rural urban leadership training class and it's a two-year class. It meets uh, for a weekend six times a year. And that was really helpful to me. I I took that course 
right before I was elected the state president of the Grange. And that was so helpful in learning how to speak better in public. I have trouble starting a conversation with people I don't know. And that training was very helpful to uh, learn how to make small talk, which I'm getting better at. (laughs) (laughs) That is another skill I think is really a tough one. This rural leadership training also delved into issues of the time, like uh, agriculture and uh, legislation and environmental issues and all kinds of modern-day things that are going on in our world to teach younger folks, people who are entering their career or midway through, uh, what the issues are in their state, in the nation, and uh, how to help address the problems and see what they could do in their local area or help them to advance in their careers to positions of more influence. It was a great program. So let's maybe talk a little bit about what you're seeing out there right now, some of those issues that are maybe concerning uh, either to your organization or, or at the university level. I know universities have a lot of challenges too, or in agriculture. Mm-hmm. What I'm most concerned about in, in the big picture is uh, the future of modern agriculture. I think there's too much government regulation, and it seems to be driven by the media, not by science. With our increasing population, some areas of the world are starving. We in the United States have the science and technology to increase our production to help address hunger around the world, but farmers may not be permitted to use it because of some Facebook post (laughs) that was based on emotion and not science. So I'm really concerned about the direction we seem to be going that um, agriculture and probably other industries, too, are are being regulated by people that don't understand modern agriculture, don't ex- understand the science and the benefits of science, yeah, but I rely on emotion. completely agree with you. I, I feel like we there's a lot of outreach that's happening, you know, a lot of farmers that are stepping up and a lot of people in the industry and a lot of agribusinesses are stepping up and it just feels like it's sometimes it feels like it's a losing a losing battle I guess yes there there is more and more involvement by farmers though telling their personal stories and I, I think that's the answer I think that's what, what is going to help in this situation yeah I think if they make a personal connection and it doesn't feel like it's a big unknown entity that probably does help yes I think so so when you are getting ready to step aside from the many facets of your career, <laughs> and that may be quite a ways down the road. But what do you think uh, people will say about you? Well, I hope they'll say that the influence of the Grange has increased under my leadership, that that I left the organization better than I found it. That's my goal. What are your hopes for National Grange? Where do you see your organization going? We are based Right in Washington, D.C., my, my office looks out on the White House, which is really exciting every yeah. day. We have a legislative director who works full-time in D.C. Our policy is set from the grassroots. Each local grange can adopt a resolution about some issue that they see and what their solution would be. And that's passed at the county level and at the state level and then goes to the national grange. And 
the delegates who are the state presidents and their spouses meet every year in November and vote on these resolutions that have come up from the local level. And that's how our policy is set. So our legislative director has this policy book of hundreds of different things that we've uh, we, the Grange membership, have decided are our opinions and goals. He can lobby for those things in Washington at Congress. And uh, when an issue comes up, we look in the policy book and see if we have policy on it and which direction we should lobby for. At some times, that influence, that activity has been less than others, and right now we're trying to build it back up so that uh, the Grange is looked to as a, a source of grassroots information about rural and agricultural issues. You know, these are really interesting times in agriculture, and it's very reassuring that there's an additional set of voices there speaking out on behalf of ag. That's exciting. I didn't realize that that was an aspect of what you guys were doing. So that's pretty cool. And I'm really interested in that part of it. As I said, I came up through the legislative world in Pennsylvania. So it, it's uh, interesting to me to, to be able to have some influence on Congress. I wish you all the best because I totally agree with your stance <laughs> on that. I think it is it is just really important that the science wins the, the battle for agriculture. I'm going to ask you one last question, Betsy, and that's, uh, is there a question that, and I know you get interviewed a lot just because of your multiple roles, but is there a question that you wish someone would ask you because you've got a wonderful answer to it? <laughs> well, I think my answer would be, I don't know what the question is, but my answer would be lifelong learning. There's so much out there that we don't know. So take advantage of every opportunity to expand your mind. There's still a lot of problems in the world that need to be solved. And through education and and the wonderful young people that are coming up now through our high schools and colleges have the answers to problems like curing cancer and uh, environmental problems that we've had. Um, just, Just keep on learning. Well, that's absolutely great advice and a and a wonderful way to wrap up this episode of Spark. So I really appreciate your time, Betsy, and I thank you so much for giving that great advice. I 100% agree with that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Sarah. All right. That concludes this episode of Spark. Thanks, everyone. I hope you'll tune in again. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.